Hello and welcome to another edition of the Fabulous Woman podcast. This time round, it's the incredibly talented Dr. Lizzie Bernthal, a woman whose stories of her challenging 25-year-long military career being deployed to war zones might well leave you with a few goosebumps. So let's go. Hello, you're back. Thank you. I'm Marverine Cole, your hostess with the mostess, on this groovy little journey about the lives of fabulous women who've been brave enough to tell me their stories. Lizzie Bernthal is my fabulous woman today. She wears many hats. She's had a fascinating career as a healthcare professional in the army, working in Afghanistan and Pakistan. She's also an academic with a PhD, brainy thing. And she's now using what she's learned in life to help others propel theirs forward with her own business as a resilience specialist. So hold on to your hats with some of these stories you're going to hear. Sit back, relax, listen and learn as I reveal Dr. Lizzie Bernthal, Fabulous Woman. Lizzie, it's lovely to have you on the Fabulous Woman podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let's start with who you are and what you do right now. I've done all sorts of roles. I'm a nurse and a midwife by background. Um, I just completed 25 years in the army where I've done all sorts of extraordinary things. Um, Amazing experience. Uh, And I also... um, I'm a teacher, a lecturer, and I've um, quite a lot of research as well. So I've had a whole pressure. Now I'm a qualified coach and an LP practitioner, and I'm now passionate about supporting others to help them be the best they can be to release their potential. So I've had a bit of a, from being a fully employed person for most of my life, I'm now entrepreneur, setting up my own business, and I'm really excited about it. I'm so lucky in the fact that I've really found my passion and I just feel so blessed. I'm living my passion every day and it doesn't feel like work. So in that respect, it's been amazing. I think the whole, it's been a massive learning curve from being a business, from, you know, being fully employed where you know you've got your money at the end of the month, you kind of directed what you've got to do and so forth to suddenly having a clean slate. So it's a mixture of real excitement to, oh my goodness, uh, it's all up to me now. So it's a big challenge, like most people, I think. What was the driver, the motivator for you doing that? I think I just wanted to do something for myself. Um, I'd had an amazing career uh, and I think I just wanted to have that freedom and that uh, flexibility of creating what I knew I could create. Um, and actually, it's, it's, I've got two sides of it now. I've created, I'm also uh, very passionate about supporting people with their nutrition and rebalancing their health and what they put on their body and in their body, which is sort of another part of the business all to do with um, making people the, you know, realise they can be the best they can be. It's really interesting. Tell me about the sorts of clients that you have. How do they find you or do you find them and and who are you working with at the moment obviously I know you don't you can't name names but you know what types of people are you working yeah, with yeah it's a really interesting question actually I do lots of um, networking which has been amazing a f- also from finding people to help with my business but also you know obviously to find clients as well a lot of it like always is word of mouth in its reputation which has been great 
uh, I think the people I know I can help. I've worked so far. I've worked from in very much in the corporate world with um, businesses from the executive team right down to the most junior uh, member of that team. Um, so I can I can communicate with all levels, which has been great. I think the people I I know I have the greatest synergy with are senior individuals, senior executives, um, often mainly women who actually find that they are outwardly they appear to be hugely successful but inwardly we all have that stuff that's like stopping us being the best we can be where we don't realize we maybe have got there by default by luck well there's no such thing as luck you get there because you deserve it so it's supporting them to realize that actually they are amazing people within um, and they're not they're not just putting it on it actually they have that and believe relieving that imposter syndrome yeah that's yeah. It's so much written about that isn't yeah. there about imposter syndrome and people just feeling oh, yeah. dear, I'm not worthy and I can't achieve what I really want to achieve and how do I get yeah. past that that blockage what sort of tools and techniques do you use or could you offer any yes, kind of simple advice my, now yeah exactly I think this is what I you know my whole year whole my lifetime of experience I've I've learned lots along the way and I just really want to help others to short circuit it so they haven't got to wait as long as I've waited to do um so I think a lot of it is realising a lot of the stuff we deal with is other people's issues that we take upon ourselves. So I talk about things like the drama triangle where we can so easily become like a victim, but actually actually often it's the person that we're communicating with is actually the victim and they're perpetuating it on us so once we realize actually that's not us to deal with that's them to deal with it can be hugely liberating and then we can work out ways but I, t- I teach all sorts of things like the five second rule where you you just it stops procrastination so you're counting down five four three two one action because that stops um, often what happens is our fear flight and flight kicks in uh, and so by we always know what we want to do we, often we know absolutely what we should be doing but we don't so if you take a bit of action first then that fear flight flight doesn't kick in because we've actually taken the action before we've actually got that fear fight and flight so that's just one example of the tools I talk about Excellent. All right. Uh, at the end of this, we're going to be reminding everybody of how to contact you yes. if if um, what you've been saying already resonates with them. And I imagine, you know, th- those kind of situations that we find ourselves in are so, so common. Yeah. So uh, you, you might you yeah. will be getting calls. I Wonderful. Imagine. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So let's turn the clock back then. Let's start from uh, where you started. Um, where are you from? And, you know, what were your best or your funniest, most memorable um, childhood reminiscences? Yeah, interesting question. Where are you from? Um, I'm eighth generation army. So consequently, I don't really know where I'm from (laughs) because I've lived all over the place. However, uh, my father left the army when I was seven and then we settled in Salisbury in Wiltshire. So that's kind of where I sort of feel I'm from. Sure, sure. But, um, you know, I was born in Germany, went straight around the world as a baby. I think I travelled on my... I had my first passport when I was four months old. Um, So, so, um, um, and there's a story of my mother putting a a label in my coat when I was two, where I was bungled on a plane to fly to fly back home to Germany where they were. I did have, I did have somebody with me, but, but it's just, um, yeah. So I've been a bit of a nomad really all my life. How has that impacted on you though? How have you coped with that? 
Is it, is it, was it completely natural and you just fl- you just went with the flow or did it affect you in any way? Yeah, I think it's it's a real it's a real mixture really. In some respects, it's great because I've got friends literally all over the world where I've met people. I've met the most inspiring people in my life. Uh, the downside of that, or not, I wouldn't say a downside, but um, is the fact that. I don't have that stable friendship that where you see people, you know, when you sort of watch the X Factor and they go home to their family, there's 500 people in the room welcoming them home yeah. uh, because everybody's all over the place. Um, so, you know, I've never had the boy next door and the, and the you know, the whole kind of community thing, mm-hmm. but I've had it in different ways yes. because obviously the army provides you with a massive community. So I've had communities, but communities that are very mobile, shall we say. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And so you being eighth generation army then it was it was almost a given that you were going to go into the army was it expected of you or did you just see that you know you, you, your your father was in the army and and the generations of the heritage was there and you just thought oh yeah it's 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 what I want to do no it's really interesting I didn't actually join the army till I was 31 so they never put any pressure on me to join the army but I had seen the benefits of it and what was happening I'd trained to be a midwife and a nurse in the NHS worked for a while went out to the far east worked in the Middle East and the far east did lots of traveling and um, came back to UK and and unfortunately all my experience I'd had abroad just didn't count for anything so therefore I thought how can I develop my career while being in a in a same health environment and that's where the army really kicked in it was amazing because you can progress your career while you're around abroad because I love being abroad so it just made sense goodness me so okay let's turn it back nurse and a midwife I mean what was life like in those years that you you were in that career where were you working then yeah that I mean this was this was an incredible eye-opener for me I did my my training in Oxford and I moved up to London and then I was a community midwife in um, Southwark and I saw a whole different side of life I'd not seen before. Uh, Really challenging circumstances for some of my my ladies. Uh, Really a real privilege to be part of that and to support them. And then I also worked in the Middle East and that was another real extreme experience where obviously at the time I was working in Saudi just after the Gulf War. So uh, where women obviously have had very limited environment to the one I was used to where freedoms were much more restricted so giving them a lot of support and actually I think that's where probably my passion for empowering others may be of starter though I didn't realize that at the time of giving people a voice. And did you have um, kind of learning experiences from working in those environments you talk about Southwark and, and the, the the mothers there who had challenges in in just living and in, in, in kind of getting by right and then ensuring that yeah. you know they gave birth to healthy babies and and the experience of um, Saudi what did you learn from those environments do you think? I think I think I, I learned so much that we we are responsibility for our future, but sometimes it takes a lot more challenge to overcome it. Uh, I think culture again. I've always been fascinated by culture, and I think that that really I think hit me home as a single woman at the time in Saudi, um, and the difference between a single woman and a single man in Saudi was really stark. We even though you know I was as an expat I we were covered in black from head to toe the guys could just walk around in their white t-shirts and shorts and you know just it just it just gave me real insight of how different cultures um 
Oh, really? What was that like then to, to handle at that time? I think there was a real difference. It's a sort of like a, a real balance between acceptance that actually wherever you go in the world, you ha- of course you respect the culture you're in and it's their culture, it's work for them and we need to respect that to actually kind of demonstrating there is a different way. So it's it's a real fine balance but between... And I did a lot of support with the women and actually, ironically, it sort of went full circle because my one of my last jobs in the army was I went out, I was head of... Um, global head of nursing for the for a military organization and I was working with women in female nurses in um, Muslim countries just by just happened to be how it happened Um, but giving them a sense of empowerment by using giving them skills and knowledge in order to give them a sense of power so that actually they could challenge and did they do that did some of those women do that in the end or did they feel safe enough to do that yeah no it was very interesting they did challenge but actually I think it also it helped them realize also that sometimes uh, the grass isn't always greener as well and I think you have you have you can have it or you you can't have both and i think some of them made them realize actually maybe it wasn't such a bad deal they they kind of knew where they stood which was really quite interesting and in fact when i was in saudi um some of the women sort of almost felt really sorry for us as expats because they felt well we had we had so much choice where do you go whereas their kind of life was was set out for them so they didn't have to make those big choices and that's really interesting isn't it yeah. because we might yeah. look at it and go you're so restricted but actually yeah. they, they didn't envy you for the amount of choice that's fascinating isn't it yeah really that really surprised me and that, that in itself yeah. is a learning experience isn't yeah, it because absolutely we see things from one perspective and actually what yeah. it's done is allowed yeah. you to, to kind of feel what it was like or, or empathize and what it was like and another experience yeah wow. so because they didn't have that option there was no point in considering it yeah. so therefore that they just sort of knew where their or not what their fate that sounds a bit but you know, their, their kind of future was yeah. and therefore that's it um in terms of working as a midwife have you ever thought have you ever tried to put a number on the on the number of babies that you've well, helped, I, helped bring into the world no probably thousands <laughs> but I, I think I, I i my first hundred i recorded and then i kind of like stopped at that point that's um, incredible though yeah wow. i mean in, in saudi it was incredible you i could deliver like 12 babies a day because they, they kind what? of they they have lots of children very fast wow <laughs> incredible <laughs> So incredible. And so that chapter of your life then, working in London and, and in Saudi, sort of how many years was that as a nurse and a midwife-ish? Can Before I joined the army. So I, I qualified, um, yeah, it was about 10 years. 10 years, yeah. Great. Yeah. And then the army. And boy, yes. you've done some things and seen some yes. frightening, you've had some frightening experiences at the army, haven't you? Let's oh. talk about your time in the army then. Where did you start well, I started. Um, I started my first posting was in Germany, one of the military hospitals. Uh, that was great. Lots of social life, really great life. Um, and that was just before the Balkans kicked off. Um, it was just after the Gulf War where everything was like settled down again. 
And then, so I worked there and then I went to Cyprus, which was just the most amazing, best climate in the world. It was just fantastic. We had so much fun. But, you know, um, soldiers produce lots of babies, particularly when they come back from deployment. So we were very busy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was that was really rewarding. And I think what was great is because our staff ratios were so much better than the NHS. We could really give top quality care, which was really rewarding. Um, And then all the military hospitals closed so I came back to UK met my husband on my first posting Aww. which is not what I expected but it was it was still 25 years later we're still happily married but that's amazing you know the unexpected yeah. meeting of, of minds that turns yeah. into you know yeah. a quarter of a century of marriage that's beautiful yeah so that was that was fantastic what does he do Oh, well, he, he was a biomedical scientist in the army. Okay. He was a bacteriologist. Um, so, and then when he left the army, he retrained to be a personal trainer because he was always top, playing top quality hockey and so forth. Um, so he, That's a, a real ho- shift, isn't and it? A, yeah, and a hockey coach. So it's, sport's always been his passion. So, um, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So then uh, you met your husband. Um, and and so what did you do? Where did you kind of move within? Because obviously it, with that many years service, you obviously did different roles in different places. Yes. So you did Germany, you did Cyprus. Yeah. Military fact, hospitals closed. Yeah, exactly. So Germany, we, that's where we met. I then, about f- six months into our relationship, I get I got post to Cyprus. So he was in Germany, then he was in UK. So we had... Then we actually got engaged. We so we had eighty our well, whole engage eighteen months of our engagement. We were in different countries, so that was. But actually, we had the most amazing holidays in between, which was really really special. So actually, I got married three days after I got posted back to UK, <laughs> um, and then and then actually two days after our wedding, I got posted up to Edinburgh, and he was down in Aldershot. So oh we had. But again, that was a bit of a weekend thing. But then in April, um, that April, we actually got back together properly and had our first home together um, and we managed we were very lucky we managed our career being in different places but within an hour of each other so we could stay in the same house that is really which sounds fortunate. quite odd but actually so many military um husbands and wives live in different areas of the country and just meet when they can so we were we we actually elected um to choose maybe not the same high profile posts but actually it was more important that we were together than it was to do the high profile yeah and you hear about both. the couples splitting up because of the because of the distances that they you know have to endure whilst being in the army so uh, well done to you for sustaining yeah. that but then of course the we had deployment as well so you know yeah. we we each of us would deploy at different times sure so sure. we ha- we were you know obviously separate during that time so tell me about um what's the most exciting place you've been deployed to Depends how you mean exciting. Well, how would you like to define it? You're cool, Lizzie. I think, um, well, I was in the Balkans and that, for me, that was an amazing experience because I went as a head of department and that was a real privilege to support a whole team. Uh that was really that was a real privilege to kind of lead a team for that um when i was in afghanistan i was in the the main headquarters and that was a, a real privilege seeing everything unfold how long us. were you there for uh, that was only of... four months and so. uh, what kind of year was that can you remember that was 2012 okay so quite recently yeah right. and um i think the most challenging thing of that was saying goodbye to my 10-year-old daughter, not knowing if I was going to see her again. Um, But 
you know you just you just deal with it you know it's it's great I mean it you know you come back a better stronger person any frightening chilling moments whilst you yeah were there? I think we, we, we yeah I think we I think every deployment has its moments um yeah I think yeah obviously I can't speak too much about that but um yes I mean every deployment the whole point the reason you're there is because it's 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 a challenging place but we have loads of great we had loads of great training to support that so um and you're a nurse at that time there yes yeah, yeah. looking after wounded yes, and injured. yes right. so yeah I mean I just I was humbled by the bravery of the guys out there I mean it was I was sitting in a headquarters okay we will you know it was it was we were at risk and that kind of thing but actually they were the guys just the courage was just phenomenal honestly I've, I, it was just so humbling humbling and was that one of your um, kind of last deployments or? Yes. Well, I, I also had when I was doing when I was supporting the nurses um, in the Muslim countries. But that was that was a sort of a different sort of employment. Gotcha. Any yeah. other army stories you want to share? Uh, I think I think what's I think what was really for my PhD, I explored the impact of military life on the families left behind because I'd actually experienced all sides of it. So I'd been left behind with my two-year-old daughter when my husband deployed and I'd actually deployed leaving my husband with my daughter. So I'd sort of seen the whole gambit and I think that's where I started realising looking back why I was so passionate about supporting military families and getting their stories heard was to give them a voice and clearly um just after I finished my PhD, Gareth Malone did his amazing with the Military oh, Wives Choir, yeah. which really did literally give them a voice. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Um, so, that. and then I got involved with the Department of Health to really support military families so that actually weren't disadvantaged by the constant relocation. Oh, terrific. Yes. So what was that, a spe- one-off special project or is that ongoing? No, it's, it's, the, it's the Armed Forces Covenant, Covenant, which is a covenant which businesses have upheld so that actually, for example, you know, if you move all the time, you might get to the bottom of the dentist waiting list or whatever. So mm, yeah. so it was, it's to stop, so they're not disadvantaged just through, just through relocation, really. Superb. Yeah. And in the course of your research, because uh, obviously PhD study is long and in-depth, Uh, How many families did you speak to, you know, in terms of finding out what their experiences were like? Yeah, I mean, I did qualitative research. I was was looking great depth rather than quantitative where you're looking more numbers. So I had 30, 30 participants. That's still a a lot, um, right? Yeah, yeah, amazing. But, you know, really, again, amazingly, real privilege to hear their stories. And what sort of conclusions did you draw from that? Well, I think that for my study, what was really interesting was I was exploring the impact of deployment. But what happened was... Was when their children were sick, and this is all being published. But when their children were sick, when their husband was around, and I won't tell your husband because generally that's what it was. It's not that you know. It's just that that's generally how it works in the army. Um, husband and wife they tend to be married. Um, they would if if their child was sick, they would call healthcare or go to the out of hours service or whatever as the very last resort. As soon as their husband was away, it was their first port of call and so actually it really changed their decision making dramatically when their husband was there the interesting impact of that is that 
if you're in a you could get whole groups of whole groups like 400 families suddenly be finding themselves single parents during that deployment which of course potentially could have a massive impact on the local health service that's providing them when suddenly you've got parents that are suddenly ringing them that normally they wouldn't so it had quite severe implications so it was really interesting and I think also it was the first time anybody had actually explored the reality of from their perspective of what it's like being being um, single for that length of time without that, any contact with your spouse. That's really interesting. In that, so in, in that sense, your work is pioneering and it almost feels like, why hadn't anybody <laughs> done that before when it feels kind of obvious, isn't it? Yeah, I think that um, there's still this, I mean, that's much better even in the last five, ten years. But there's there was always a focus, much more focus on quantitative research, looking at numbers opposed to the qualitative the real experience yeah and ultimately experience is what helps us understand to then try and formulate some solutions exactly i don't i certainly don't do numbers Numbers. no me neither (laughs) exactly don't do numbers (laughs) i'm not interested in numbers at all no 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 (laughs) and i suppose you know i was kind of digging deeper uh, about your phd because i'm considering you know my own proposal so that aside out of this interview we could have a certainly have a chat with that yes we'll geek out on people yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. It's fascinating, really good work. And so it's published so we can find that online if we search for yep. you. And yeah, the, if you look yeah. under my name. Yeah, yes. it'll come up. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And so you've worked in, in many challenging arenas then, um, but away from kind of work in terms of um, other areas of your personal life, any other challenges that you face that... Uh, that you can kind of speak to around how you then overcame those yeah I think I mean I think I've I had interestingly when I was a child I was very overweight and I I was sort of bullied although I didn't realize think I was really bullied but I look back on it now and I think actually I became a bit of a victim and I totally accept that now. And so throughout my military career, there were times, well, not my military career, but throughout my whole career, there were times where I seemed to sort of come up against individuals that um, didn't make me feel great. But actually, I'm so glad all that happened because now I realise, no wonder, I was completely pathetic and a victim. Um, And now I can really support others and just literally by talking about things like the tool I teach is the drama triangle which is where we all take on roles of parent adult child and often often some if you feel you're persecuted it's actually that person that's persecuting you is because they've got their own issues and actually they're the victim yeah and often that's really hard you can't even decipher that or figure that out when you're when you're young right we see that when when we're older we can actually see another person that's you that's deficient yeah but it, yeah, it's 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 great to be able to help others see yes. that that's where yeah. the, the problem lies, right? So often you find that it, even the individuals, I mean, I wasn't aware of it as an adult. It wasn't until I learned about all this stuff by doing when I did my coaching course that I, all these light bulb moments went off. And I thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And it's the most liberating thing because you realise actually that's them, it's not you. Um, and that can really change people's lives when they realise actually you're great, you're fine, you're okay. Yeah, and often it's yeah, yeah, someone is either jealous, it's either intense jealousy, or you know they just see it as a, a bit of fun for them, and and it's kind of then well, really you should look at your own yeah. life instead of bullying others or. You but know, when you're in it, you yeah. just think it's because you're you're the defected one. Totally, totally. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so in that sense, then, um, what sort of? So you 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 went through the bullying as a as a child. How old were you? Kind of primary I think school it's, age. Yeah, or? it's kind of like ten, eleven. I mean, uh, looking back on it. It, it probably wasn't bullying. It was just, yeah. it was, you know, she, she, particularly girls can be quite vicious when they're yeah, young. And yeah. I think I'd be, I'd been very protected as a child. And I think I just, just wasn't tough enough. And actually it was really good. I had it because I don't regret any of it now at the time. Obviously it doesn't feel great, but I think every, every experience we have, I totally believe in the philosophy that every challenge is a learning opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we can learn from everything, and that's mm. all down to mindset. And that's what I support people to as well is mm. is help them, help them with a growth mindset that everything can be learned, opposed to a fixed mindset where you sort of get the why me, why me sort yeah, of attitude. Yeah, I believe in that too. Actually, I really, really do. Yeah. Um, that um, I can't remember the exact words, but you know what what looks like a setback is actually almost a setup to help you move forward. Yeah. Right, exactly. even though it might sound a bit corny, it might sound really cheesy. You might go, oh, "What? What does she mean?" Yeah, it's but so true. Yeah, so true. You, so you true. And how many times we have some adversity in our life where we felt that was that was not our plan, and then you look back on it and you think, "Oh, thank goodness that happened." Yeah, wow, relief. I'm so glad I yeah, didn't do that. Yeah, thank in goodness end. that happened. In yeah. retrospect, yeah, I'm so glad that failed because actually now this is the direction I need to go in. Yeah, exactly. life is life is weird, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And in terms of what you've been through over the years, Lizzie, is there any kind of general advice you can give to people? Because look where we are. We've heard about your amazing story, um, working as a nurse and a midwife here and abroad and in some really frightening, challenging circumstances in in war-torn areas. Then you tell us about, you know, your academic career. You've gone into research. You've really challenged your mind in a very different way. Mm. Um, now you're running your own business. I mean, there are all sorts of different points here that people can tap into and go, I'd really like to do that. I'd really like to change career. I'd really like to set up my own business. I'd really like to try some kind of academic course of study. Any kind of tips, hints and advice that you could offer to someone who feels a bit stuck, wants to move, Follow but your not dream. sure how? Absolutely follow your dream. And that's what I also help people with. I work out, help people work out their why. What is their, what do they want their legacy to be? Uh, and I think, you know, when we're a child and we're three and four, and we want to be a fairy or an astronaut. We have no problem saying what we want to be. I love it, but yeah. suddenly you you're go to right. school and it's, oh, no, you're going to be a nurse, a solicitor, mm. a doctor. What are you going to do? And we get every, I mean, not so much now. I think teenagers now have far more opportunity and some will never, ever have a job interview because they'll just set up their own business. Mm. But I think what my biggest tip to everybody is absolutely follow your dream. Because if you're following your dream, you are your true self it doesn't feel like work as I'm discovering now and I think you know we all we all I strongly believe everybody has a purpose and so many unfortunately never find that purpose and they spend on the rat race on the hamster wheel just trying to because they need to pay the mortgage or whatever they need to do but actually when you work out why do you need to pay the mortgage then you can find your real purpose it might be you know and I in my workshops I talk about ask them to say why five times and then you might find actually it's because I want to provide my family with a place of safety to live that's far more powerful than paying the rent yeah 
Um, so I, all I would say to any tip is that actually, if you have a dream, follow it. Because it is, and you think, of, I mean, I, Richard Branson is my hero. Who would have said, oh, barking mad? Well, I think I'll just pe- put people on Mars. <laughs> and he's making it happen because he has a dream. And it's, he, you know, yeah. if you have a dream and you believe in it strongly enough, and you should look at it every day, and I have it on my phone, my, my little dream boards on my mobile phone, um, I think you just you can't go wrong because you are being who you really are and you've got to get to that root of why is this why does this dream matter to me you know what is it that drives me about this because that and that's your the why isn't it that you're talking about and that's other people are called you know your purpose what's your purpose what are you driven by yeah um and uh that is fantastic advice absolutely right i I agree with it and uh, you know I also think sometimes people have their why and then they might feel, oh, maybe it's not. I've been trying this path and maybe it's not. Um, don't worry, there probably is another why. you just got to keep digging. Well, as long as it's the correct why. Yeah, often yeah, yeah, often yeah, you originally yeah. think your why is your why yeah. and then you realise actually it's not your why at all. Yeah. There's a far deeper why that mm. you're just exploring. And that's... And you've got to step into that, haven't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Stay brave and kind of move yeah. uh, to try and get to that deeper why. Without yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes it can be challenging in the fact that people will might try and stop it. But often the people that try and stop it is because actually they haven't got their own. Yes, yes, They yes, haven't yes. got their own. And yes. actually they're trying to not say bring you down to their level. That sounds really bad. But, you know, it's amazing. But actually by having your own why, your own passion, you bring people along with you. I so agree with that, Lizzie. Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's why you do what you do so well. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm just yeah. passionate about letting people become who they really are meant to be. Uh, we spend too much time with those with those um, jackets on us, trying to conform us to be False who labels. we think other people want us to be, opposed totally. to who we want to be. Totally, it's not a way to live. Get rid of their straight jackets. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And in terms of the future for your business, what are you thinking? Because obviously it's a year in now. I know that's early, um, but have you got any thoughts you can share around kind of short, medium, or long-term goals as to where you see the future for for your business? Yeah. I mean, I did. A, I was very lucky. I did lots of um, public speaking. I went around the world in the, when I was in the army with conferences. I just really would. I just want to spread the word, really. So my passion is to deliver far more uh, workshops and inspirational talks at conferences around the world to spread the words but I also I use I have published a bit but I really want to write my own book which will be a toolbox for well-being so yeah I've got a massive amount to do I just hope I've got a long time to do it because <laughs> I've got I've got so much I want to achieve um, I just feel I'm just getting started Wow, Lizzie's energy is amazing. I was literally bouncing off the walls the whole time we sat together for this one. I know you'll agree with me that she has so much more to give and make sure you find her on LinkedIn and at her website, rypotential.co.uk. And before you go, will you do me a favour? 
Will you share this podcast with your friends and family? We're now on Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts and YouTube. So please leave us a review there. And you can also come and say hello on the hashtag Fab Woman Podcast on social media. We are at Fab Woman Podcast on Twitter and at Fabulous Woman Podcast on Instagram. Thanks a lot for listening. Make sure you come back for another, won't you? The Fabulous Woman Podcast is a Raging Brum production.